2: I enjoy true crime podcasts as much as the next person, but I think we've all experienced losing sleep when an episode hits just a little too close to home. With ADT, get 24-7 peace of mind knowing that your home is protected by the most trusted name in home security. With nearly 150 years of experience, reliability, and safety innovations, ADT is a tried-and-true smart home security system that over 6 million Americans trust. Equipped with the latest technology and the intelligence of Google, ADT provides comprehensive protection that you can manage from virtually anywhere. Whether you opt for professional installation by ADT Pros or easily set it up yourself, customize your smart security system to work for your home and your routine. With Nest Cams and Doorbells, set up intelligent alerts so you receive notifications on what matters most. Your camera can tell the difference between a person, package, vehicle, and animal, and will alert you when there's activity. When the most trusted name in home security adds the intelligence of Google, you've got a home with no worries. Go to ADT.com today or call 1-800-ADT-ASAP. Google, Nest Cam, and Nest Doorbell are trademarks of Google LLC. ADT. Brilliantly safe.
0: 60 Minutes. Coming up next... True story. A Seattle man went to bed with nearly 300 grand in his bank account. By morning, the money had vanished because of some identity thief. Can you imagine? What if some thief got to your life savings? Look, no one can stop all identity theft, but here's what I did. I armed my bank and retirement accounts with LifeLock Ultimate Plus. Yep, LifeLock's best just got better. LifeLock Ultimate Plus is the most comprehensive identity theft protection available, helping protect your identity, your bank and retirement accounts, credit cards, even the equity in your home. How many other ID theft protection services do that? Zero. So why risk it? Do what I did. Get LifeLock Ultimate Plus and sleep easier knowing if a thief goes after your identity or life savings, LifeLock's on it. Visit LifeLock.com now and enter promo code Gordon or call and mention Gordon to save 10% on your LifeLock Ultimate Plus membership. 800-916-7170. That's 800-916-7170. 800-916-7170. Network does not cover all transactions.
2: Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it.
3: The job approval rating for the Congress is 15%. What do you say to the 85% of the American
4: people who think you're doing a lousy job? I would say they're right. I, you know, I wouldn't vote to approve this Congress.
3: But the new Republican Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell and the Republican Speaker of the House John Boehner promised to change that, hoping to work with the president, but, as you'll hear, on their own terms. From the president's State of the Union address, let me ask you, dead or alive, raise taxes on the wealthy? Dead. Real dead. Dead. morning.
5: Morning. Morning, morning, Chief.
6: morning, Chief. Chief Calvin Williams is trying to reform his police force while working in one of America's most violent cities. You've got a predominantly black city and a majority
5: white police force. Does that need to change? If you come from the premise that, you know, only an African-American can police other African-Americans then we're all doomed to failure.
7: Max, agent, make me rich. Thanks a lot.
8: (laughs) Li Na is one of the wealthiest female sports figures in the world. She's probably China's most famous athlete and an idol to young Chinese, not only because of her abilities, but because of the way she stood up to the Chinese system. I didn't care about the obstacles. I was just heading towards my goal. I'm Steve Croft. I'm Leslie Stahl. I'm
3: Morley Safer. I'm Bob Simon. I'm Bill Whitaker. I'm Scott Pelley. Those stories tonight on 60 Minutes. For the first time, the president faces a House and Senate controlled by the Republican Party. Two men will decide which part of President Obama's agenda becomes law. They are the Speaker of the House, John Boehner of Ohio, and the new Senate Majority Leader, Mitch McConnell of Kentucky. This past week, we sat down with them at the Capitol for their first joint interview since the big Republican gains in the midterm election. They had just heard the President lay out his vision.
4: I have no
3: more campaigns to run. My only agenda... I know because I won both of them. Um, What was your impression of the president's State of the Union
4: speech? My first thought was it sounded like he was running for a third term. He seemed to have uh, completely forgotten or chose to ignore uh, the election last November. He was looking out at an audience that had 80 more Republicans in it than his first State of the Union. Mr. Speaker, I think your reaction to the State of the Union was written
3: all over your face. It must be a hell of a thing to sit behind the president, Uh, knowing that 30 million Americans are watching you for an hour. Do you practice that scowl?
9: uh, No. I I stare at the back of the president's head. And my goal is to make no news. This is the president's night, and so I sit there and try to make no news, Uh, although inside... I've got a lot of things rolling through my mind.
3: Our deficits cut by two thirds, a stock market that has doubled, and healthcare inflation at its lowest rate in 50 years. This is good news, people. Unemployment has fallen to 5.6%. Gasoline prices are down. The stock markets are up. The economy grew by 5% in the third quarter. That's the fastest rate in more than a decade. You don't congratulate the president for
4: that? things are getting better. But the point is, who is benefiting from this? This has been a uh, top-of-the-income recovery. Uh, The so-called 1% that the president is always talking about have done quite well. But middle and lower income Americans are about $3,000 a year worse off than they were when he came to office. Is income
9: inequality a problem in this country? Is it a problem that Republicans want to address? It is. And frankly, the president's policies have made income inequality worse. Uh, All the regulations uh, that are coming out of uh, Washington make it more difficult for employers to hire more people. Chief amongst those, I would argue, is Obamacare. Uh, which basically puts a penalty or a tax on employers for every new job
3: they create. From the president's State of the Union address, let me ask you, dead or alive, raise taxes on the wealthy? Well, how would we want to raise taxes on people? I'll take that as a dead. Dead. Real dead. Make community
4: college free of charge, dead or alive? We've added more debt during the Obama years than all the presidents from George Washington down to George Bush. And giving away free tuition strikes me as something we can't afford. I'll put that down as dead as well. Increasing the federal minimum wage. Bad
9: idea. Dead. It's a bad idea. I've had every kind of rotten job you can imagine growing up and get myself through school. And and I wouldn't have had a chance at half those jobs. If the federal government had kept imposing higher minimum wage, you take the bottom rungs off the economic ladder.
3: Finally, dead or alive, tripling the child care tax credit for working families?
9: Uh, We're all for helping uh, working class families around America. Uh, I think we'll take a look at this when he sends his budget up. Uh, Something that could be looked at in the overall context of simplifying our tax code and bringing rates down for everyone.
4: I would just add trade. Um, virtually every Republican in the uh, in the audience the other night stood up and applauded when the president talked about trade. Speaking to folks at the White House the other day,
3: they told us that one of the areas they thought there was a chance for progress is
9: on infrastructure in this country—roads and bridges. What do you think? We agree. You know, the biggest problem we have is that the Highway Trust Fund, which is funded by gasoline taxes, continues to shrink as cars get more uh, and better mileage standards. And so uh, the money that's in the Highway Trust Fund isn't sufficient to meet the infrastructure needs of the country. You can fix that. You can raise the gas tax. Hasn't been raised in decades. Well, when the Democrats control the House, the Senate and the White House, they couldn't increase the gas tax. Uh, We believe that uh, through tax reform, uh, a couple of other options that are being looked at, we can find the funds uh, to fund a long-term highway bill. It's critically important to the country.
3: The Republican leaders also told us they intend to take initiative on foreign policy. Will you pass additional sanctions on Iran to
9: stop their nuclear program? I'm very concerned about uh, the Iranians, uh, the threat that uh, they could be developing a nuclear weapon. And I believe, and I think the the House believes, that more sanctions, uh, if they don't come to an agreement, are in order.
3: The President said in his speech that you will all but guarantee that diplomacy fails if you do
4: that. I disagree with the President. Under the proposal we're considering, those enhanced sanctions would only occur if a deal is not reached. In other words, it further incentivizes the Iranians to reach an agreement because they know things could get considerably worse if they did not.
3: Uh, Mr. Speaker, the day after the State of the Union address, you invited the Israeli Prime Minister, Benjamin Netanyahu, a critic of the president's foreign policy, to come to speak to a joint session of Congress. You blindsided
9: the White House with that. We gave him a heads up uh, that morning, but there's nobody in the world who can talk about the threat of uh, radical terrorism. Uh, nobody can talk about uh, the threat that the Iranians pose not just to the Middle East and to to Israel, our longest ally, uh, but to the entire world, the Bibi Netanyahu. Was that some kind of a brushback pitch, sort of telling the president,
3: look, if you're going to go your own way on foreign policy, two can play at that game.
9: The president didn't spend uh, but a few seconds talking about the threat, the terrorist threat that we as Americans face. Uh, This problem is growing all over the world. And, you know, the president is trying to act like it's not there, but it is there. And it's going to be a threat to our homeland if we don't address it in a bigger way. And tonight I call on this Congress to show the world that we are united in this mission by passing a resolution to authorize the use of force
3: against ISIS. Will you pass a measure authorizing the use of force against ISIS? Uh, We
9: will. Will your measure outlaw ground troops? we'll have a discussion with the members and with the White House. Uh, on, on whether that's appropriate. But I don't want to limit the president's ability uh, to take on the terrorist threat directly.
4: I think what is required <coughs> is that we defeat ISIS. And as John has indicated, um, it will require boots on the ground. The question is, wh- whose boots? And I think it would be a very uh, foolish mistake for us to say in advance what we won't do. And nobody is advocating a use of American ground troops there at, the po- at this point. But why in the world would we want to send a a message uh, to our enemies what we will or won't do in the future?
3: Today, our immigration system is broken. We also wondered about the president's decision to bypass Congress with his own immigration reform. The president has temporarily protected about 5 million illegal immigrants in this country from deportation. The House just passed a bill to block that, and I wonder, Mr. Leader, are you going to pass a similar bill in the Senate?
4: Well, you know, the president said on 22 different occasions that he didn't have the authority to do what he did. Of course, the 22 occasions occurred before last November's election. As the election's out of the way, he did exactly what he said he didn't have the authority to do. So we will try to pass the House bill when it comes over to us, uh, and I think it'll uh, be vigorously supported by the vast majority of my members.
3: He's going to veto that bill if it reaches his desk. Is that governing, just sending bills up to the White House that are going to get vetoed?
4: Look, can I say something about vetoes? The president's vetoed two bills in six years, two little bills over technicalities. The reason was the Senate never sent him anything that caused him any discomfort. In our system, it's it's going to happen occasionally. Presidents veto bills. There are differences of opinion between uh... congress and and president that's not unheard of in our system president
3: obama's job approval rating is forty six percent it's pretty poor but the job approval rating for the congress is fifteen percent what do you say to the eighty five percent of the american people who think you're doing a lousy job
4: i i would say they're right i, you know, I wouldn't vote to approve this congress um, and from a Senate perspective, I can, I can tell you the Senate has been essentially dysfunctional for four years. I mean, it's basically been shut down. And these guys on the House side passed lots and lots of legislation. that would come over to the Senate and literally nothing would happen. I mean, absolutely nothing.
9: Over the last two years, we sent 400 bills over to the Senate that never received action. Almost all of them passed on a bipartisan basis. Never got considered.
3: That's because, as you would expect, the previous Democratic Senate leadership used tactics to hamstring bills from the Republican House. Now, with both chambers in Republican hands, McConnell says more bills are going to get a vote. Critics uh, have often said, and this stings the president, that he should do more to reach out to Republicans, invite them over to the mm-hmm. White House, have them over for dinner, play golf with them, that sort of thing. But many people don't realize that Republicans turn down those invitations because they, t- they tell the White House they can't be seen with the president. How is anything going to happen in the city of Washington, if the two parties can't be seen together. Listen,
9: the president uh, and I talk, and I know Mitch talks to the president, and, and, and we had a meeting at the White House last week. It was all very cordial. Uh, it was all very straightforward. Uh, I, don't think, I don't think that's the issue. You know, the president could have, at the State of the Union, just put out an olive branch. Could have taken just a little bit different tone. Uh, that would have would have indicated to us that there's some interest in working with us. I can tell you, we're interested in working with him. Mr. Speaker, can you bring the Tea Party
3: in line? There are Tea Party groups that hold fundraisers under the heading of "Let's fire the Speaker." <laughs> they don't think you're very conservative.
9: Well, my voting record is as conservative as anybody here. Uh, the issue with the Tea Party isn't one of uh, strategy, it's not one of uh, different vision. Uh, it's, a, it's a disagreement uh, over tactics from time to time. Frankly, a lot of it being driven by national groups here in Washington uh, who raise money just beating the Dickens out of me. Uh, Conservative groups raising money, beating the beating Dickens the Dickens out of me. You. Well because it works. <laughs> they raise money and put it in their pocket and pay themselves big salaries. How many Republican parties are there? Well, there's one, and we continue to work to bring those members along and bring them along, and, uh, but it's always a work in progress. The
3: president often says that he can't be the leader of just one party, that he has to be the president for all of the United States. And I wonder whether either of you lay claim to that same responsibility
9: of uniting the country rather than dividing it. I want to divide the country. Well, we try to do everything we can up here to help unite the country. Uh, But having
4: this debate uh, is the American way. We're not divided on our love for and support for the country. We have very different views, as Adams and Jefferson did, about what America ought to be like. And we resolve that through the democratic process. And uh, so I would not view with alarm the fact that there are robust debates going on in congress over the future of this country
3: 60 minutes coming up after
0: this short break True story. A Seattle man went to bed with nearly 300 grand in his bank account. By morning, the money had vanished because of some identity thief. Can you imagine? What if some thief got to your life savings? Look, no one can stop all identity theft, but here's what I did. I armed my bank and retirement accounts with LifeLock Ultimate Plus. Yep, LifeLock's best just got better. LifeLock Ultimate Plus is the most comprehensive identity theft protection available, helping protect your identity, your bank and retirement accounts, credit cards, even the equity in your home home. How many other ID theft protection services do that? Zero. So why risk it? Do what I did. Get LifeLock Ultimate Plus and sleep easier knowing if a thief goes after your identity or life savings, LifeLock's on it. Visit LifeLock.com now and enter promo code Gordon or call and mention Gordon to save 10% on your LifeLock Ultimate Plus membership. 800-916-7170. That's 800-916-7170. 800-916-7170. Network does not cover all transactions.
2: Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it.
6: Police chiefs from the country's biggest cities meet in Washington tomorrow. It comes at a time of crisis for policing in America. First, there were the deaths of unarmed black men at the hands of white cops in Ferguson, Missouri, and in New York City. Then, when it seemed things could not get worse, a black man claiming revenge assassinated two New York City police officers. We have been following the division between the police and the public in the city of Cleveland. It reached a critical stage when a city cop killed 12-year-old Tamir Rice as he played with a toy gun. The Cleveland PD was already under investigation by the Justice Department for widespread use of excessive force. Now it's up to the city's chief of police, Calvin Williams, to calm the outrage and reform a department in one of the most violent cities in America.
5: Are there bad guys within the police department? Of course there are. And it's my job to make sure we weed out the bad people uh, from this division and that we nurture and grow and support uh, the good officers that are out there. Hang tight for a second. Why don't you guys sit in the car and let me talk to the commander. All right? All right.
6: Chief Calvin Williams has been a cop in Cleveland for 29 years. He's faced one crisis after another since assuming command in February. No incident in Cleveland has been more horrifying than the killing of Tamir Rice. Security camera video captured Rice playing with a pellet gun. The police pulled up and within two seconds an officer shot the boy. On the left, you see Tamir's 14-year-old sister being tackled by police as she rushed to her dying brother. The police ride up, and almost even before the door is open, the 12-year-old
5: boy is shot. A 12-year-old boy lost his life, period. And what makes it even more um, difficult for me... uh, not just as a a person that lives in the city, but as a chief, is that that happened at the hands of a police officer. The rookie
6: officer who killed Rice was hired by the Cleveland PD, even though another police department had found him emotionally unfit and forced him to resign. How did
5: he get hired by the Cleveland Police Department? Those are things that are under investigation uh, that we're definitely taking a, a second, a third, and a fourth look at. How did did he slip through? We know some of the things that happened in that process, and we're, even at this moment, uh, changing the way some of that is done.
6: Prosecutors are investigating the Rice case. Protests against and in support of police have continued in Cleveland ever since the shooting. You've got a, a predominantly black city and a majority white police force.
5: Does that need to change? Diversity is always, um, always at the forefront of uh, what I'm trying to do in this city. But if you come from the premise that, you know, only an African-American can police other African-Americans, then we're all doomed to failure. You've heard about, you know, the talk
6: that many African-American families have with their young sons Mm -hmm.
5: to watch out when they have an encounter with the police. Is that unnecessary well bill i, I don't want to uh, minimize that because i know that happens uh, a lot uh, in minority communities uh, i can say from from a personal standpoint you know i have a 24 year old son and i've never had that talk with him you know i expect him to be uh, respectful and to act properly no matter who he's encountering whether it's a police officer or, or a news uh, anchor person is there something that happens in this country between african americans or minorities, and law enforcement, yes, it does happen.
6: The city asked the U.S. Justice Department in 2013 to investigate the Cleveland PD after more than 100 police officers joined a high-speed chase and fired 137 times at this car, killing two unarmed people inside. Police mistook their car backfire for gunshots. Last month, the Justice Department report found a pattern of unnecessary and excessive use of deadly force, and it described an us-against-them mentality between the police and the community. What's more, some suspects were beaten, pepper-sprayed, and tasered, even after they were already in custody. The report found a pattern of excessive use of force. You disagree with that? Yes, I do. The report found that it was systemic within the division.
5: You disagree with that? Yes, I do. What do you agree with? I agree that there are some issues within the Cleveland Division of Police as they pertain to use of force, as they pertain to reporting and community issues. And we are working diligently both with the Department of Justice and with the community to make sure that we correct those things.
6: There's a memorial here at the spot where 12-year-old Tamira Rice was shot. But this park is hallowed ground for police officers as well. Less than 100 yards away are memorials to two officers killed in the line of duty. One was murdered by a drug dealer, another by a rape suspect. When it comes to pain in Cleveland, there's not much distance between the people and police. Six Cleveland cops have been killed in the last 20 years. Danger and stress take their toll. A police officer's life expectancy here and around the country is 10 years shorter than the average American. Officers Shane Behoff and Eric Newton patrol Cleveland's 4th District. We just wanted to make sure everything was okay. The most dangerous beat in the city. They told us about a struggle with a drunk suspect who tried to grab Newton's gun.
10: There's, there's safeguards to keep it from just coming, out, coming straight out. But, I mean, you can, you can hear that, and I can feel it tugging on my hip. He's, 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 he's trying to pull it out. With both hands. Were you scared? That had to be frightening. It's terrifying. You're keenly aware of what the consequences are if he is successful in doing that. Does it still haunt you? Um, I don't think I'd use the word haunt. Um, I find myself thinking about it now every time I talk to somebody. They have been
6: partners for six years and have never wanted to work in any other neighborhood.
10: I don't live here, but this is my community. A lot of times on a busy week, I spend more time here than with my own family at home. It's not me against them. I'm out here protecting.
6: The murder rate in Cleveland last year was higher than in Chicago, New York, or Los Angeles. 103 people were killed in Cleveland, 42 in this neighborhood. This day, the wind chill was 20 below zero. But Newton and Behoff kept the car window open so they can hear gunfire.
10: This is the most dangerous area? One of. I can tell you that there are some individuals in the community who who do scare me a great deal, given the the types of things that they've done in the past and, you know, the arrests that we've made involving them. Yeah, I, I mean, they scare me. If an officer comes out here and says he's not scared of anything he's a liar
6: how do you
5: protect and serve people you're afraid of you know if you look at uh, things that have happened around the country uh, both to other people and the police officers uh, you know some of that fear is warranted uh, because there are people out there that mean harm to police officers
6: one of the problems exposed in the justice department report was how the Cleveland police improperly deal with the mentally ill. Tanisha Anderson had a history of schizophrenia and bipolar disorder. Two months ago, she was disoriented and outside in the cold wearing a nightgown. Her brother, Joel, and her mother, Cassandra, called for an ambulance. Two police officers responded instead.
5: She was treated like a criminal, instead of a human being that had a right, to, you know, to get some help. The family and the cops
6: agreed that Tanisha needed to go to the hospital. But when police moved to put her in the squad car, her brother saw her panic.
5: How was she behaving? She was just holding on to the car doors. Not allowing them to push right. her in? Right. That's all she was doing, just hold on to the car
1: doors. I've never seen so much force from a a big hand crunched down on somebody's head like that, just constantly, constantly trying to get her in the car. And I'm like, what is going on? Is is she a criminal or, or what?
5: And the big cop, he slammed my sister. He slammed slammed her. her? He snatched her off the car, the inside of the police car, and he slammed her. To the ground? To the ground. I never will forget that. The officers
6: say that... Um Tanisha was kicking at them and resisting them.
9: That's absolutely untrue. I was there, I know.
6: The family says one officer put his knee in her back as he cuffed her face down on the sidewalk. She stopped moving. They waited 20 minutes for an ambulance. She was pronounced dead at the hospital. Tanisha Anderson was 37. The medical examiner ruled her death a homicide. The Anderson family is suing Cleveland and has demanded all officers be trained to deal with the mentally ill.
5: It's another incident that we um, definitely feel sorry that it happened, period. Do your officers have training in how to deal with the mentally ill? Yes, some of our officers do. We have approximately um, close to 450 officers that are trained in crisis intervention. 450 out of how many? Uh, Out of approximately 900 that are in patrol, the agencies that were in place, I'd say, 10 years ago to handle things with the families, to handle things with mental illness, to handle things with addiction, aren't there anymore. People call 911. We have to respond.
6: The department received a staggering 400,000 calls for assistance last year, more than one call per resident. Mike, what's going on? Chief Williams says he wants his officers to stop responding to so many non-emergency calls and instead get out of their squad cars and get to know the community. But it can be uncomfortable for police, which is exactly what we saw when we asked officers Newton and Behoff to meet with some of the people they serve at this community center. What is the perception of the police?
5: In this neighborhood, it's not that good. Some people get that badge on their chest and they think they become Superman. They got a right to take on the world.
6: How do you differentiate
5: these kids
10: from the ones you call the bad guys? Warning the things is probably a smile and a wave and how you doing, officer, instead of spitting. Why do you think they would spit at you? Not everyone likes the police.
7: It seems like every time a young black man is involved, They shoot
10: first, ask questions later. Me and my partner have arrested hundreds of gun arrests. Neither one of us have ever fired a gun at anybody.
6: Eric, you've been kind of quiet here. I'm listening.
10: (laughs) What are you hearing? More communication. I've never encountered a situation that couldn't benefit from more communication. The justice
6: department is insisting on reforms, including new rules on the use of deadly force and faster
5: ways to discipline bad cops. Unfortunately, it takes time. You know, I, I for one would love to be able to wave my magic wand and have this change tonight. Morning. Morning
6: Chief. After spending 4 days with Chief Williams, you get the sense that he's disgusted, even furious, that the actions of some of his officers have so badly damaged the
5: reputation of the department he's risked his own life for. I've had people actually trying to take my life on four separate occasions, and I survived that. I can give you a whole list of officers attacked with deadly weapons that survive and, and don't end up using deadly force against that person. What's at stake here Everything for, for Cleveland? Everything everything's at stake. I mean, I I talk to people every day that say, we support you and we know you have a uh, a difficult job to do uh, with the division of police, but we know in the end, this police department will be better. And if that's not the case at the end of this, then I failed at my job
3: and uh, I hate to fail. 60 minutes coming up after this short break.
0: Do you want to learn how to steal customer credit card information from major retailers so you can buy anything you want? Well, we can't help you with that. But among the many IT problems we solve, Barracuda's award-winning firewalls prevent hackers from taking your valuable data to the bank. Reclaim your network like 150,000 other businesses have. To learn more about protecting customer data and your reputation, visit barracuda.com slash firewalls.
2: Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it.
8: It's not unusual for tennis stars to have been groomed from an early age by hard-driving parents. Andre Agassi had his father, Mike. Martina Hingis, her mother, Melanie. Chinese champion, Li Na, who became one of the highest-paid and most-watched female athletes in the world, had a tennis parent, too. Hers was her country's state-run sports system. One of tennis's big Grand Slam tournaments, the Australian Open, is underway this week, but without Na. After she won last year, she hung up her racket, leaving the sport after a remarkable career. Remarkable not just because she won two Grand Slams, but because she stood up to the Chinese authorities to win some freedom. When Li Na reached the finals of the French Open in 2011, 116 million people were watching her back home in China. They were hoping she would make history and become the first Chinese citizen ever to win a Grand Slam tennis tournament. And with this point, she did. I was
7: lying on the ground and a hand was in her face, and I saw, wow, blue sky. And I tried to cry, but I cannot because it was so exciting.
8: It was the crowning achievement of her career up to that point, but she had barely lowered the trophy when she was accused of being ungrateful by failing to properly thank her country for making the victory possible. One headline. Called it China's victory. They felt that the country had put so much money and effort into training you that it was their victory. You just didn't see it that way. What did you do? I just thought I was fulfilling my dream. As she told us in both Chinese and English, she felt it was her victory as an individual, not as part of a collective. By then, Li Na had been questioning the Chinese mindset and standing up to the authorities for years. You looked, to me anyway, to be incredibly brave. You challenged the way things were. and You were just a little girl, you know, you were just one person. Because I had a goal. I didn't care about the obstacles. I was just heading towards my goal. She inherited the goal from her father, who had enrolled her in China's sports system at an early age, hoping she would follow in his footsteps and play badminton. She wasn't very good, and a coach suggested she try tennis. Did your parents even know what tennis was? No. No. I remember my parents used to call it fuzzy ball. They didn't even call it tennis. Because back then, not many people in China knew about tennis. By the time she was eight, she was practicing six days a week on these courts in the provincial city of Wuhan. Lina lived with other players in a Spartan state-run sports school. That's her on the upper right with the short cropped hair. You look like a little boy. Yeah. Did that bother you? No. What did bother her was the constant stream of criticism from her childhood coach, Yuli Chow, seen here grabbing her arm. The way she speaks, everyone thinks she's pretty angry, you know. Yeah. Yeah, so I was, like, scared. She was always making you feel you weren't good enough.
7: Yeah. Push me a little bit.
8: You hated her. Yes. <laughs> the coach's brutal method was hardly unusual in the Chinese sports system, which was modeled on the Soviet Union. (laughs) To this day, China operates a vast network of sports academies that have been criticized for overtraining their young athletes, causing psychological stress, and providing inadequate education. At 15, Li Na became the youngest person ever to win the National League singles finals. But she was lonely and depressed. Her father had died, and her mother had fallen deeply in debt. The one bright spot in her life was a romance with a fellow player on the provincial tennis team, her mixed doubles partner and future husband, Jang Shan, a.k.a. Dennis. Did you have to keep it secret in the beginning?
7: No secret for everyone. I think maybe only the coach. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the only Co- the coach. <laughs> yeah,
8: only the coaches. So you did have to keep it secret from the coach.
7: No, no. I think that the coach didn't ask, and we didn't answer. Yeah.
8: yeah. <laughs> but as time went on, Lena started feeling bullied by the sports system. During this ceremony in 2001, the official who placed the medal around her neck slapped her after she came in third. A few months later, Lena quit walked away from tennis altogether. But the tennis authorities begged her to come back. So a year and a half later, she returned, and her career took off. At the 2008 Olympics in Beijing, she upset Venus Williams in the quarterfinals. And the crowd went wild. She was popular. Fans liked her. She wasn't like other typically stoic Chinese athletes. When she lost a big match, you knew it hurt. And she also had a firecracker temper. In the Olympic semifinals in Beijing, she got so angry with her home country fans who were shouting encouragement and advice during the match that she told them to (laughs) shut up. Your childhood made you an
7: angry person. It's not against some someone is angry about myself right because i think i didn't doing good enough
8: because of the echo of the coach in your head and you were kind of beating up on yourself a lot yeah
7: maybe because pretty deep you know so it's not scar tissue yeah
8: it's not easy to forget or take off Another cause of her anger was that she was competing against Western players who had their own personal coaches and trainers, while she did not. She felt the government-run system was holding her back. When she complained about this publicly, the head of China's tennis program denounced the shortcomings of her morals. You were having difficulty with the system, not just then, repeatedly all through this period. I well,
7: I think maybe this was sort of a catalyst for me getting my own team.
8: She got her own team and was allowed to keep a much larger share of her winnings after the 2008 Olympics. Zhang Bendu, a Chinese tennis writer, says it was a stunning development in Chinese sports. After the 2008 Olympic game, we have four or five Chinese players uh, all get more freedom.
5: They can have their own coach, uh, decide their own schedule. But the... But you have to pay your own coach, yeah, and your uh, your flight tickets.
8: But it was seen as a, as a big, I it's don't a, know. It's a big change. The change put a lot of pressure on Lena's husband, Dennis, who at times also served as her coach and punching bag.
11: Yeah, come if you don't want to watch, you should just get out of here.
8: You don't need to put on such a stinky face. Is the way I'm playing embarrassing you? I just want to
10: talk to you about...
7: Get
8: lost! And in her post game interviews, Dennis became the butt of her jokes.
7: Yeah, because I didn't have a good evening last night, my husband sleep like like this, you know. <laughs> you know, sometimes I just make the a joke.
8: Did you take it as a
0: joke?
7: I don't want to answer that question.
8: During one very difficult period, Dennis left her and Lena was devastated. They reconciled and have been inseparable ever since, even making TV commercials together. The extent of her popularity in Asia is hard to overstate. Lena has more than 20 million followers on China's social media. Time magazine named her one of the 100 most influential people in the world. And Forbes named her the second highest paid female athlete. If she hadn't fought for more freedom, she would have to have given 65% of her income to the state. Last year, she made an estimated $24 million, and she very publicly thanked her agent.
7: Max, agent, make me rich. Thanks a lot.
8: Advertisers see her as a way into the lucrative Chinese market. Her sponsors include Mercedes-Benz, Rolex, and Nike. Her ad campaigns are aimed at Chinese youth who are attracted to Li Na's feistiness and courage. I think young people
5: love her because not only she can win the champions, but also uh, she dare to say no to the
8: system.
7: She dared to get out of the system.
8: After her victory at the French Open in 2011, she fell into an awful slump. She hired Argentinian coach Carlos Rodriguez to get her back on track, and he told her she needed to strike at the source of her anger. So Lina met with her old nemesis, Coach Yu, and told her how her coaching methods had hurt her. So was there a release for you in in being able to tell her and looking her in the eye? Well, after that, this burden was gone. Carlos knew what to do.
7: Yeah, he's a very good coach, a very good psychologist.
8: Her improved attitude paid off at last year's Australian Open when she won her second Grand Slam and became number two in the world. In her victory speech, she thanked Dennis and brought down the house.
7: Thanks for him, give up everything, just traveling with me. Thanks a lot, you're a nice guy. Also, you are so lucky. Fun me.
8: <laughs> the system wanted to take credit for the victory. When she returned home, Coach Yu was sent to greet her with a hug for the cameras. Li Na looked happier when she was slapped. Evidence of Li Na's influence can be found in the rising number of private tennis academies that have opened up around Beijing with sophisticated training techniques. A new generation of young women want to be the next Li Na. No one calls it fuzzy ball anymore. But shortly after her Australian victory last year, she stunned the tennis world, announcing her retirement. At 32, after multiple surgeries, her tired knees were giving out, and so she decided to say goodbye. She left the game with tears and some regrets. She even went out of her way to thank the sports system and her former coaches. She told us she planned to live in China, start a tennis academy here, and raise a family with Dennis. You would like to have children? Yeah. I would love to have at least two. You don't want to make any announcements on 60 Minutes, do you?
7: (laughs) No, 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 no. No,
8: No, 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 not yet, (laughs) not yet. Okay, all right, all right. But last week at the Australian Open, she had an emotional secret to share with the crowd.
7: Me and Dennis, we are so excited. Our first child will be all of
8: this summer. Lena! After all her dramas and her courageous fight to control her own career, Lena says she's at peace even with the stern and demanding sports system that got her here, the tennis parent of her youth. I'm Leslie Stahl. We'll be back next week with another edition of 60 Minutes.
1: Listen to the 48 Hours podcast for shocking murder cases and compelling real-life dramas. From one of television's most watched true crime shows. Go behind the scenes of each episode with award winning CBS News correspondents and producers in Postmortem, a weekly deep dive. Listen to 48 hours wherever you get your podcasts.
3: The Hargan women seem to have it all.
7: From the outside looking in, we we're, were blessed. My mom.